Have you ever wondered how we figure out what readings to use on any given Sunday? I'm sure you know it's not up to the choice of the priest. The readings are well set out for us by the church. It wasn't always that way. In the first couple of hundred years of the faith, the priest just had to choose whatever he wanted to use on any given Sunday. Around the fifth century, different bishops in some areas started regulating everything and um, making sure that the same readings were, celebrate, were prayed or used at every mass throughout their diocese. And little by little it caught on, and ultimately by the time of Charlemagne in the 800s, Charlemagne, when he became the you know, first ruler of the Holy Roman Empire, decided that he wanted to make sure wherever he went in his empire, he was hearing the same readings and the same prayers every Sunday. And so he asked the Pope to put together a book that would be regulated for the church. And that was the beginning of how we got the lectionary, the readings we have today, and the Roman Missal, the prayers that we use on any day. They've been revised, of course, over the uh, centuries since then. But in putting the readings together, the church was very careful about making sure that there was a logical procession of an idea from one Sunday to the other, especially in the great seasons of the year, the three big seasons of Advent, Lent, and Easter. And Easter, now that we're in our fifth Sunday of Easter, let's see if we can look at the progression of the theme of what the church has been trying to explain to us through the readings each and every Sunday. First, Easter Sunday and the octave of Easter, eight days we just rejoice that Jesus is risen. The good news, Christ is risen from the dead, and we sang hallelujah until it was coming out of our ears, you know, until we could, you know, as much as we could, eight solemn days of celebration. But we continue our Easter journey. It didn't end with just those eight days. Afterwards, we remembered, as we were told, especially at the Easter Vigil, that baptism is the means by which we enter into the resurrection of Jesus, that um, we lost heaven because of original sin, and in the waters of baptism, original sin is washed away. Most of us were baptized as infants, so we had only original sin then. But when adults are baptized, like this year we had three adults that we baptized at the Easter Vigil, and I always like to say is that even if they committed mass murder in the past, they don't have to go to confession beforehand. Those sins are washed away in the waters of baptism. So Jesus died and rose from the dead to destroy the power of sin, what had kept us from heaven, because by original sin, heaven was closed to us. Jesus opened the gates of heaven now by dying and rising from the dead and came to destroy that which keeps us from entering his kingdom, and that is sin. And in baptism, we are clothed in Christ, we become Christians, we receive sanctifying grace and original sin, and if it's somebody of age to commit their own sins, all their actual sins are washed away. Then we heard about the Eucharist. The, excuse me, before the Eucharist, we talked about uh, what happens after um, baptism. If we're baptized and commit a sin afterwards, then the Lord, the night of the resurrection, the first gift he gave the church was the gift of the sacrament of reconciliation, where he told the apostles, if you forgive men's sins, they are forgiven them. If you hold them bound, you're held bound. So sin is washed away in baptism, and we are renewed in our baptismal grace after we've gone, you know, sinned 
uh, after our baptism over and over again in the sacrament of reconciliation. And then in the Eucharist, we're told how this completes our initiation. This brings that union with Christ to its completion because we take the actual flesh and blood of Jesus as our food. He enters us, we enter him. And so he's drawing us into himself so that every time we receive the Eucharist, we are physically part of Jesus on the cross with him, having our sins killed there, we're buried with him and risen and having our sins cleansed and renewed in us over and over again every time we come and celebrate Mass. Then last Sunday, uh, uh, which is often called Good Shepherd Sunday, we're speaking about Jesus the Shepherd and he talked about how my sheep hear my voice and follow me and they will only listen to me. And we were told the importance of listening to Jesus and him alone. Why Jesus and only Jesus? Because there are lots of false voices out there. People teaching us things that contradict the Lord. And the devil often uses some of those in his battle against God. He's trying to do everything he can to call people away from Jesus so that he can have us in his kingdom and spite God by keeping people he loves from joining him in his kingdom. And so we were told last week that we need to listen to Christ and only his voice, that he is our shepherd. Now today we hear why we do all of that. And the reason why we follow the Lord and do everything we do is because the Lord is restoring heaven to us that was lost by original sin. And Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you and then I come, shall come back and take you with me that where I am you also may be. And in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. And so the Lord reminds us that his death and resurrection was to restore what sin lost and that is our place at his side in heaven. And what will it be like in heaven? Well, we, we're told it will be perfect, but we can't even begin to imagine that. St. Paul once wrote, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it so much as dawned on man what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm sure once our souls enter the glory of his kingdom, we will be blown away by the beauty there and will say, wow, I know, Lord, you said it would be beautiful. I never imagined it would be anything like this. And so our souls will be in his loving embrace as we await the day when he returns in glory, when even our bodies are raised from the dead and we live body and soul in his perfect new creation. And so the importance we hear today is the reason we follow the Lord is to take advantage of everything he won for us by his suffering, death, and resurrection, the forgiveness of our sins, and our journey each and every day, the single most important thing for all of us, in fact, maybe only the only important thing that we should have in our minds is to avoid sin and follow the voice of the Lord leading us to salvation and make sure that everything else in our lives Certainly, nothing takes us away from the Lord, that it supports our journey or is at least neutral to it. So watching, for example, an, an innocent comedy movie doesn't necessarily do anything to advance the cause of our salvation, but it doesn't lead us away from that. So our whole lives, our eyes should be fixed on heaven and heaven alone. The reason we live, the reason we go to work, the reason we do everything we do is to enter the glory of heaven. Unfortunately, today, there are some people in the community of faith who have lost track 
of the call to heaven. And somehow we've seen the social work that we do, the caring for others, you know, the feeding of the poor and all that as the only thing we do. And please don't misunderstand me. Not for a moment am I saying that our social justice is unimportant. No, it is a very important part of who we are and the Lord will hold us accountable for what we did and did not do for the poor and those in need here on earth. So yes, it is something very much we do. In fact, our love for the Lord naturally makes us want to love and serve one another. So the horizontal, if you will, the helping of one another is an integral part of our faith. But it's not the only part of our faith. And the more important thing that we're doing is leading people to worship God and help them get to heaven. And so everything we do by reaching out to the poor and the needy, as important and good as it is, is ultimately meant to lead their souls to heaven, to help them know and follow Jesus and resist any voice out there that contradicts him so that they can hear the voice of their shepherd leading us to our dwelling place in heaven. And as I said, sadly, some people have lost track of the vertical, of the call to holiness, of our worship of God, and leading our souls to heaven. In fact, I remember once having a conversation with another priest, and we were talking about things, and I said, well, you know, in our work to save souls. And he said to me, oh, that's ridiculous. We don't save souls. We save people here and now. And I said to him, that's all we do is take care of the poor? Isn't there more to the gospel than that? Yes, we are supposed to be leading people to heaven. Because if we only concentrate on social work and taking care of other people, well, what makes that us any different from just social workers? And anybody out there who runs any sort of society to help the poor? And even good atheists will take care of the poor just out of a natural goodness in them that says we need to care for one another. So what makes the difference between them and us as Christians? Obviously, it is that our social work, all the things we do for one another, are meant to bring us all together to, as one community, worship the Lord and help each other lead ourselves to heaven and follow the voice of the Lord. And that's why an integral part of our mission is not just helping people, but helping people so as to bring them to trust Jesus and follow his voice and listen to him calling us to holiness. And sometimes we know that call to follow Jesus in our world is not easy because the voice of Jesus uh, calling us is something that is completely contradictory to the values that many people and society in general hold today. And it means we have to be completely countercultural and we have to say no to a lot of things that many people around us are telling us we have to embrace. And some people, having compassion on those who have difficulties or struggles with different things in their life, and of course we certainly want to have compassion on them, concerned about anyone, yes, no question about that, and we want to help them. But once in a while, somebody sees the plight of someone who is in pain and suffering because of whatever it may be, especially related to any of the hot topic issues in morality in the world today, and people feeling bad for that person decide, oh, we have to alleviate their suffering by allowing them to carry out that action that they want to do. Except that Jesus is telling us that action is not holy. It does not lead to union with him. In fact, it leads in the opposite direction. It would be pulling us away from him. And remember the devil is at work trying to trick us, trying to pass a lot of things off as goods that are actually going to lead us away from the Lord. And we have to listen to the voice of Jesus, knowing which are the legitimate pleasures and things that he gives us in the world that we can uh, appreciate and take advantage of, and which are lies. 
Which are tricks that the devil or the world around us that has left the Lord are trying to tell us to value? And when people in the household of faith start telling the church, oh, you've got to change these teachings because it's too hard on people, and they want us to now say it's okay to do it, well, we're not doing them any service, are we? I've always said that misplaced compassion is even more dangerous than lack of compassion. If we have no compassion on somebody, well, people could say, well, shame on you for having no compassion on them. But when somebody in a desire to have compassion tries to teach them that something that the Lord says is sinful is in fact a virtue and can be done and lead you to the Lord, well, they're leading them completely in the opposite direction. They're pulling them away from the Lord and leading them elsewhere. And they're not doing them any good. And sometimes people will say, well, we have to do that. We have to change and embrace these ways of the world so that you know, we'll fit in with the people and they'll come to us and maybe they'll come to church. And many denominations of Christianity and some Catholic parishes have done that and claim that, well, we have to change these teachings so that people will come and they'll come to church. But if we do that, then what are we doing? We're bringing them to ourselves, but we're not bringing them to Christ. We're not leading them to him and we're deceiving them. We're telling them, even though Jesus says this is a sin, we're going to tell you it's okay because we have compassion on you. And so the person persists in their sinfulness and never finds the Lord and never finds the way to salvation. And we need to remember that sometimes in the fallen world that we are in, to listen to the Lord and make our way through it and being countercultural, sometimes we're going to have to suffer in order to follow him. Not every day, certainly. We have many beautiful days and many joyful gifts he gives us. But the Lord never said, come follow me and I'll give you an easy life. I'll make everything just the way you want it to be. No, he said, anyone who wishes to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And the, word to, the, the road to salvation is narrow and many people try and fail to enter. So it is a challenge for us and it does mean changing our minds, not doing things we really want to do. It's changing beliefs that we want to hold on to and say, no, the Lord says they're sinful, I will change my mind on that. And that can be a struggle. But so often in the struggle is when we find holiness. And that's another thing that's been lost in our world today. In our desire to take away people's pain, which is honorable and noble, we often sometimes forget that sometimes in that struggle, in those difficulties, is when we most find the Lord. Pope St. John Paul II, among many of the saints, told us that when he talked about the redemptive value of suffering in his frequent writings and talking about his own life, he says he actually is grateful to God for every time he's had to endure some type of suffering because in that suffering it made him realize his need for God and it brought him closer into Christ and further into his loving embrace. And so there is great redemptive value in our suffering. Not to say that we don't try to alleviate the pain that other people are experiencing, but helping them also realize while they're enduring it, especially if there's nothing we can do to alleviate that pain, they can find the Lord in it. And even that suffering can be the means that leads us to heaven. And that's how we really defeat the devil. Remember, the devil brings evil into the world, hoping that we'll curse God for it, so that this way he can use the pains that come our way to lead us away from God and into his embrace. 
And when we take the sufferings and the hardships that come our way, and rather than cursing God, turn to him and say, Lord, help me to carry this cross. Lord, help me to find you in the midst of this. Then we're taking what Satan has done to destroy us and turn it into our salvation. It leads us further to Christ. And that's what happens when we take up our cross and follow him each and every day and how we participate with Christ in his sufferings by bearing the suffering we need to endure so that we can enter the Lord's kingdom. And so, my brothers and sisters, today the Lord reminds us, as we heard last week, listen to his voice and his alone. Only his is the truth. Of all the different voices out there, how do we know who's telling us the truth? Only Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as he tells us. And he calls us. He's the only one who will never lead us astray. He calls us to holiness in his kingdom. And we know what he teaches us through the scriptures, through the church, through apostolic tradition, is the truth, because he promised the truth would, that the church would never sustain a lie. So a clear and consistent teaching of the church, we can be confident, we can say with certainty, is the truth of Christ. And although it may be difficult to follow it, we know it is the truth, and we're not following any lies. And if we do that and remain faithful to the Lord, then we're allowing him to draw us into himself to become one with him by leaving our sins behind and embracing only Christ and purity and holiness and the integrity that will fill us with the joy that only he can bring and that will lead us to our place in his kingdom, to that dwelling place he has prepared for each and every one of us. May Jesus Christ be praised now and forever.